All right. Uh, Galatians is a powerful defense of the gospel message. The gospel being the good news that we have received Jesus, that we don't need anything to be a Christian except faith in the work of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is using this letter to defend the message of the gospel against false teachers who were claiming that new Christians must also adopt the rituals and practices of the Jewish believers in order to be saved. This morning in chapter 5, Paul begins talking about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. But freedom is a word that I think for us is easily misunderstood because of the way in which we think about freedom as modern Americans. We think of the concept um, in, in a much different way, and I'm going to come to that later, but I think that it sort of clouds our understanding of what the Bible means when it uses that word. And I'll do my best to explain when the time comes. We're going to read also this morning one of the most shocking verses in the Bible, in my opinion. Uh, so mentally prepare yourself for that. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. In other words, Jesus set us free in order to experience our freedom. He says, Stand, for, uh, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Pay close attention, Paul says, if you do this, you can't have Jesus. This is the most direct way he could say it. Works righteousness and justification by faith cannot coexist. It is one or the other. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, that's not the shocking verse that I was talking about, but it is a pretty shocking verse. It's, it's kind of a hard verse. Some uh, have taken this to mean that the Galatian Christians could possibly lose their salvation. That's not what it means. That would ignore the greater context of what we studied in chapter 4. If you remember, Paul has been talking about two covenants. A covenant, essentially, of works and a covenant of grace. And the Jews understood that disobedience would result in being cut off from the covenant community. So Paul borrows that idea, and he's saying that to resubmit to the law, now that Christ has been revealed, 
would result in being cut off from the covenant of grace. The visible church is the covenant community, which includes professing believers and their children. But we also understand, practically speaking, that not everyone in the covenant community is a true born-again believer. This is why it's important that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so I'm confident that what Paul means in this verse is that professing believers, professing believers who embrace works righteousness will be severed from the covenant of grace. Which means that in reality they were never in Christ. And so his challenge then is to these professing Christians that they must choose, will they submit themselves to a religion of works or will they submit to a religion of grace? Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So he's saying we are not working for our hope. We are waiting for our hope. Our work counts for nothing, he says. Only faith counts. And notice he says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. You might try to find righteousness from doing this thing that you think you should do. You might also try to find righteousness from not doing the thing that you think it's, you know, good Christians don't need to do. And he's saying that that's, that's not the point of our religion. Only faith counts, but, and this is a, an important but, it's a bit of a turning point, okay? He says, but only faith working through love. True faith, what? It expresses itself in love. We respond to God's grace with good works. Verse 7, you were running well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Okay, so all the while we've been focusing heavily, not exclusively, but heavily on this concept of grace that comes to us through Christ Jesus, right? But now Paul is actually using the word obedience. He's not dismissing the need for Christians to be obedient. He's not saying that there is no effort in the Christian life, right? You were running well. You were exerting effort. You were doing something, right? It's the order that matters here. And it's crucial. It's not, it's not a, a, a little theological note. It's crucial that we understand that grace comes before effort. Obedience follows grace. Verse 8. This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. In other words, Jesus is not the one who's pushing you to accept circumcision. Verse 9, 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus, of course, referred to the teaching of the Pharisees as, as leaven or yeast. And Paul borrows the idea here, saying a small amount of, of this leaven will completely change the recipe, right? Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Okay, so kind of a weird verse. He's speaking to the actual conflict that's going on, and apparently the false teachers were spreading a lie and saying, hey, guess what? Paul's actually on our team now. He's preaching circumcision. And, of course, Paul has some very strong words for that. Look at what he says, verse 12. And this is, this is that verse, okay? He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Brother Paul... <laughs> I mean, did he really say that, right? I mean, yes, he did. It's right there in the Bible. It's in all the original manuscripts. Go all the way, the man said. Wow. That's strong language. You know, the commentaries mention that the Galatians would have been familiar with some of the pagan religions in that area. And some of those religions required their priests to do this. And Paul knows how foolish that sounds. And it's probably his point. This is all, this is foolish. Paul loves the gospel. He loves Jesus. And this debate was obviously very serious to the Lord, not just to Paul. Why? Why is it so serious? Why is it so serious that language like this is appropriate to use when speaking about false teaching? Verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Now remember how I said earlier, our modern American concept of the word of freedom is going to cloud our understanding of this text. And I want you to pay very close attention to these last two verses, okay? Only do not use your freedom, Paul says, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what then is freedom the way that Paul uses the word here. Freedom is having the power 
to do the right thing. Let me say that again. Freedom is having the power to do what God created you to do. And that's not how the average American thinks about freedom. Okay, In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Independence Day. It's a day when we appreciate our freedom as Americans and historically what we mean by freedom. We're talking about a couple of hundred years ago, freedom from the tyranny of a king. But even today, the way most Americans think about that word freedom, we think of it as having the opportunity or the right to do whatever we want to do. It's my life. That's what it means to be an American. It's my life. I'm free. I can make my own choices. It's my body. It's my choice. I can do what I want. That's how we think, typically, of the word freedom. But I want to be very clear that that is not what the Bible means by freedom. In fact, the Bible calls that bondage. Doing whatever we feel like doing, whatever we want to do, that's slavery to sin, according to the Bible, not freedom. In Christ, we are free from the obligation to try and earn God's favor by keeping His law, which is something we could never do. But... We are also freed from thinking that we know what's best for us, and we are free to trust Jesus and His way instead of our own way. Verse 13, Paul says, You are called to freedom, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't think of your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you feel like doing. Instead, Paul says, you have been empowered in Christ to live freely as someone who has been made new. You now have the license to be a better person and the power to change by His Holy Spirit. I think it was Frederick Douglass who said, there is no freedom without a struggle. You can't have crops without plowing the ground. And so the good news for the Christian is that we're not struggling to be free anymore. In Christ, we have freedom already, but that means that we're now free to struggle. To struggle against sin. To struggle against the flesh. Because freedom is not an opportunity or a right to do whatever you want to do. It is instead the power to do the thing that God has called you to do and has enabled you to do. How should we spend that opportunity? How should we use that power? Well, the answer is obedience, which Paul defines 
as love. Not a love that rejoices in sin. Not a love that tolerates sin. But a love that rejoices in the truth. One last verse. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, that verse seems to kind of tag on a, a different thought than everything else that we just talked about. It's, it seems out of place, but I want to suggest to you that it's not. It's right where it should be. He's still talking here about the, the idea of freedom, and this would be an example of the misuse of freedom or a misunderstanding of freedom. The language, if you look at it, it, it sort of suggests this picture of, you can kind of imagine in your mind like a pack of dogs attacking one another. You bite and devour one another, right? But there's also, this is a little weird, okay, but it's, 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 it's what's being said. There's also here an element of cannibalism. Now, I think it's safe to say that cannibalism is the opposite of love, right? But I want you to think about this again in terms of freedom. Now, I'm going to use something a little strange, but bear with me. Um, it's kind of popular these days in movies and video games. We're all familiar with the idea of zombies, right? What's a zombie? A zombie is this creature that used to be human that appears to be free. It just kind of wanders around wherever it wants to go, right? But of course, a zombie is not free, is it? It's completely controlled by one desire. And what is that desire? To eat people. This is funny, you can laugh. Um, that's not freedom, is it? When everything in your world is controlled by a single desire, it reminds me of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is probably my favorite psalm talks about the, the righteous and the wicked. And he says, The righteous is like this tree planted by streams of living water. The wicked, though, is like the chaff that blows away in the wind. Well, I think of that almost as a tree versus a tumbleweed. Right? The tree can't go anywhere. It can't decide where it's planted. It can't move itself. But it's alive. And it is what it's supposed to be. A tumbleweed is actually the picture we think of of freedom, of like blowing in the wind, right? But it's dead. And this gets at the point that the Bible is trying to make about us as human beings. We have the power to destroy other people. We become, we are born this way. We are... We become like zombies in the way we interact with other people and we will stop at nothing until we get what we want. Whatever the desire of your heart is makes you that way. It controls us. And Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 45. He says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I notice Jesus is not telling us to be good. He's telling us that our communication reveals what's already in our heart. Each of us has a commitment in our hearts that we will defend at all costs. We will slam and manipulate and gossip and discourage and yell and curse and ignore and pout. We will do whatever it takes insofar as we have the power. We will do whatever it takes to try to get or to defend what's most important to us. Even if that means we have to hurt other people in the process. But for the Christian, we are called into a new reality. We are called into a new kingdom, a kingdom where none of us is the king. Jesus is the king. And if you belong to Jesus, then you are beginning to understand that Jesus has used His freedom and His power as the true king not to condemn us or to cast us aside. His anger is not burning against us even though He has had every right to bury us. But instead, Christ used His freedom. He used His power to restore us, to reconcile us to God. On the cross, Jesus spoke words of forgiveness. And that's who we now represent. We do not, brothers and sisters, have the freedom to manipulate and hurt other people. We have the right and the freedom now to represent a king who has loved us well and who forgives people who don't deserve forgiveness. And it's His grace that sets us free. And when that happens, He starts to become the desire of our heart and we begin to experience true freedom, not to indulge our selfish desires and hurt other people, but the freedom to love, the freedom to serve, the freedom to forgive, the freedom to be the people God created us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We await a hope, a hope of righteousness, Paul calls it. One day you promise that you will come back and you will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. All of that will pass away. Father, I pray that you would help us to look forward each day more and more for your return. And in the meantime, I pray, we pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ that you would help us to live 
out the freedom that is found in the gospel, not the freedom to do whatever we want, unless what we want is to be more like you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Let's stand together and say.